Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Grace Van Toff. We recorded this via Skype a few weeks ago, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. Shout out to Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter, Michael Cash. Thank you so much. If anyone else wants to support the show, you can sign up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, which is linked in the show notes. It's how the show gets made every week. Big thanks again to everyone who keeps it going, and thank you especially to Michael Cash. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with Grace Van Toff. But first, here's our interview and jam. Enjoy. This one is called I'm Sad. One, two, three, two, two. to get up in the cool. Thank you, Cameron. What did you just play for us? I just played a song called I'm Sad that uh, I wrote after listening to a bunch of old music and I was try- I was thinking about songwriting and trying to pare down how you write a song. I tend to add a lot of extra words and um, metaphor, etc. Mm. And so that was an exercise in feeling a feeling, identifying the feeling, and describing the feeling, and then not applying a false breakup narrative to the feeling. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it? So, you're, yeah, you're just trying to, like, you're trying to distill, like, all of these things. What what music were, were you listening to that inspired you to do that? What What old music were you listening to? Was it stuff that was super lofty and you're like wanting to do the opposite or were you feeling inspired by like simple lyrics all right well well cameron that's interesting because it was a lot of roger miller uh who is just about my favorite songwriter and is very good at articulately describing a feeling and then a bunch of like american uh 1920s pop music Hmm. And then also just a really big, a really big feeling. Yeah. Also that was happening. <laughs> yeah. Big <laughs> mood. Uh, so yeah. I guess we were like in media res. Why were you listening to a bunch of early 1900s pop music? Is that something you often do? Uh, yes. Um, I think... Well, I mean, I, there's there's good music from any time, but the 1920s in the U.S. especially is so interesting because it's just, it's the advent of recording technology and there's like this rush to the microphone and it's just, um, that's, um, I don't know if you can hear that, but someone just started a motorcycle outside my window. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, 
it's just this clash of all these different um, elements of the like musical American cultural stew. They just sort of, ah, they all collide and get mixed together. And there are elements of uh, jazz, of course, what we would probably call trad jazz today and the blues and hillbilly music. Although I don't, it was just starting to be called hillbilly music. Then I'd like to call it early country music. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just really cool stuff. It's so weird. Um, And it's, and it's also, you know, it's the beginning of recorded technology. So that has a, such an interesting effect on what kind of songs are being put out because there's really no formula yet for how a song is supposed to sound. Cause you know, with, Within a decade before that, if you wanted to hear music, you either needed to have a family member or a neighbor that played, or you had to play. And not right. only did you have to be proficient on an instrument, you had to be able to read music. Right. If you wanted to engage with popular music culture then. So I think it's, I, I just, that time always kind of gets me, gets me all amped. And it's that sort of beginning of, what sort of seemed then is like innocuous globalization, right? They found King Tut's tomb. People are starting to incorporate these like really appropriated gaudy elements of like visual elements of like Japanese culture. And there's like this Egyptian craze and it's there. It's problematic in a way, but it's also really interesting because that's so American, you know, we just see something, we want it and we consume it. And then it's and then it's our thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I re- I remember when I was studying classical piano in middle school and high school, and I started getting into Debussy, and that was the first music from like the twenties that I ever started studying. And all of his music is uh, like looking back on it now, I'm often just like, oh, like, I don't know if I can play Gollywog's Cakewalk anymore. That's kind of a bummer. But it is like exciting oh, yeah. to think at the time of, like you're saying, this sort of innocu- innocuous globalization, like there is this all of a sudden, all this extra information that like music makers have at their disposal. And maybe they don't even have the concept of appropriation yet um and wouldn't for a while but uh yeah i don't know i i get what you're talking about it is exciting it's kind of like in america at least the monster of globalization is still like a really cute little baby monster (laughs) you know it hasn't like grown into this disgusting um uh city engulfing I'm going to eat everything up and shit it out monster it's still real cute it just hatched that is a a lovely that is a lovely metaphor so you all of my my musicologist friends (laughs) you play other genres as, as well what did you what did you first start playing music when you did start playing music um i think we're really similar in this way i started out playing classical piano and then also took on classical violin after that and so i played a lot of classical music and i played a lot of church music Mm. i grew up in um a pretty devout christian family uh in a calvinist a small calvinist denomination that's mostly populated by dutch american people called uh christian reformed so we had all kinds of yeah we had some church music um was it very liturgical it was it kind of depended on which church you went to uh a lot of it was sort of uh and it's changed now um it's sort of leaning more towards that you know contempo casual christian music but There were there were a lot of like in my grandparents' church and stuff. Um, there were a lot of hymns sung, and I I just remember that really liking that music when I was younger. Uh, what what drew you to it? It is liturgical. Were the people but good it's... at singing it at your church? No, 
Not really. <laughs> Even no. more interesting. Um, yeah, what, what drew my, you to it then? My mom is, my mom is a really uh, accomplished pianist and she would sing on what was called in her church, the praise team. So she'd sure. go home every week. This was before there were CD burners and stuff. And she'd play herself. She'd play the music for herself on the piano and record it onto a cassette tape. So she'd have something to practice with. So I was hearing the music in pieces. And I think it was probably like the harmonies and all that, that yeah. I really liked those old hymns. I It's just, some of them are kind of airtight. It was, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, there is. <laughs> The, I think they have to be airtight, right? Because they have to make sense on the page. Like they have to visually make sense for a lot of people to sing. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything that's like unedited or messy, it's just going to mess everything up and it won't actually serve its function. Yeah. And especially in like the Calvinist tradition, and this is also a very like Dutch cultural thing, you don't want to like step up on the soapbox yourself and really showcase yourself. It's all about kind of you know, support the group. So sure. fall in line. And so that's, yeah, it's just real straightforward harmonies and stuff. Um, I dig it. It was a plain Psalter hymnal. I don't know. Yeah. Did you grow up with church music? I did, but I, it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know how far I want to get into this, but it was a, uh, <laughs> it was a kind of Quaker meaning that was actually a church like there's this like rift in the quakers like i don't know 100 years ago or something and basically a bunch of them were like hey we're gonna like start doing the whole missionary thing and we're gonna start having pastors and like having programmed services instead of just meetings and uh so i like i had like some of the like kind of um <laughs> it was it was like a normal sort of like mainline Protestant church in a lot of ways, but it was in like Southeast Portland. And then there were just like some hippies and some queer people and a lot of just appeals to like sort of the um, kind of like woke aspects of Quakerism with, and sometimes earning it, but often not. <laughs> So that was like my, that's my own like re weirdly specific story. But we didn't have like a... It's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Oh, uh, it's just not, not that that's weird. That's, I, I totally, it's weird that I get it. And it's weird sort of the role yeah. that music plays in these, in these sacred contexts. You know, it's kind of molded to fit, you know, mix and now, match. Are, are you, are you still religious? Um, I... I'm no longer like a, like an observant Christian. I was yeah. not, I would probably have considered myself non-religious for a really long time. Although I stayed connected to the music in a lot of ways, um, mm. especially with the project I'm involved with, the duo project yes. I'm involved with now, Sinner Friends, we do quite yes. a bit of religious music, but I've actually um, found a faith community here in Detroit. That's uh that's a synagogue. So I've been attending Jewish services and um, essentially living a Jewish life, although I'm not technically Jewish, so I can't be part of a minion or anything. Um, but yeah, so so religious. Um, yeah. The nice thing about Judaism, it's all about re wrestling with God. So you can be, you can totally be an agnostic. Yeah. And still, you know, and still be part of the community. So that's, that I've, I found really a, like a pretty comfortable space there for me. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's in there in the text in the new Testament. Uh, but most American Christians at least don't really see, see the religion as one of wrestling and being agnostic and struggling, even though it's totally there, but yeah. Yeah. It's a lot more like faith. You have it or you don't. But if you yeah. don't have it, like, don't admit it. <laughs> don't let anyone know. Um, it's a, it's different. And it, obviously not all Christian communities are that way. Um, every, Hashtag not all everybody. Christian communities. <laughs> not all. Not all like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just, it's really interesting. There's a lot of focus on study and um, 
I don't know. I'm I'm a good studier. I like studying. Mm. I like it a lot. Yeah. So that's that's, yeah, great. that's sort of the extent of my religious life these days. Although I am still, you know, pouring through gospel music just to find um just to find material for sinner friends. And it's it's really that music is still really interesting to me because it's so powerful. I mean, music is kind of magic anyway. And then when it's used in the sacred context, it's just imbued with that much more power. Like it sort of holds your soul in its metaphorical hands. So it, yeah, I think that's, I don't think I'm ever going to stop being interested in that. Yeah. When were you first exposed to like country gospel kind of stuff? Um, Cause that's what sinner friends does. At least what I've heard yeah, of yeah. so far. Um, I would say my first exposure to that was probably, I probably right around the same time heard, uh, I grew up listening to country music and a lot of the liturgical music in the sort of peripheral communities that I grew up is, was very like old school. So not super different from what you might find in the South, although it's a lot, it's generally like more reserved, um, and mm-hmm. that's going to change denomination to denomination. So that wasn't very different. Um, I grew up listening to pop country radio, which was, you know, um, it is what it is. It's well, like, give me some names. Who were who were your guys or gals in uh, pop country radio? Pop country? Oh, geez, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like George Strait. Uh, okay. Randy Travis. It was like like early '90s pop country, like the very tail end of the traditional country revival that started in the '80s, mm-hmm. and then of course it sort of catapulted into the late '90s. All that uh, pop country, mm-hmm. um, it's changed. The sound has changed. Let's just say it that way. Um, <laughs> and then I uh, I went to college. I was studying classical music in college, and I got my classical. Um, organist advisor to write me a recommendation so I could go to ETSU and do the bluegrass old time country music program there for one semester. And I took a country music history course there. Um, and in like a really short time was sort of filled in the gaps. I think I had a Jimmy Rogers record, uh, and a Leuven brothers record. And then I learned more about those men and, like really kind of got into that stuff. It, um, and then of course there's the tie in with, if you've heard shape note singing, a lot of the harmonies that the Leuvens use, they borrowed from sacred harp singing. So there's a really kind of interesting connection. No one had there. made that connection for me before. Um, that's oh, great to know. Yeah. Did they grow up doing that cool. or something? Uh, yes. Yeah. They, they grew up, uh, learning sacred harp and taking sacred harp camps and stuff. That was basically, I'm pretty sure most of their musical education as kids. Although I know their dad played banjo and played some more probably traditional early country music. Hmm. Um, I keep saying traditional and that I shouldn't be using that word because it's, it was all, had elements of tradition, but it was like all new stuff, you know, it's just, it was that mishmash time. Uh, but yeah, Yeah. I got really into, I remember it was the Lufen brothers and Jimmy Rogers that just totally sucked me in. Um, even though I was still pretty stuck on the bluegrass track, I was like bluegrass up and down the block, you know, 24 seven bluegrass obsessed. Um, but it, it got in my brain and in my ears and stayed there. And that was probably the first early country music I listened to. Mm. And then, of course, Leuven Brothers is is uh, probably about fifty percent sacred music. Right. Um, Satan. A lot right. of it are a lot of it's original sacred songs, uh, written largely by Ira Leuven, who was uh, a kind of um he's like a character right out of like Marvel comics or something like. <laughs> he's just had such an interesting life and outlook and it was it's just i'm not saying he was a good guy but uh uh-huh. he's a very interesting guy oh good and I, well, yeah and i'm a little i'm a little obsessed um but yeah a lot of those tunes 
to be completely honest, I got into them because I was like, these are so ridiculous. And I was coming off of my first two years of college, which were at a Christian university. And I'm just like, I'm taking classes in Christian reform doctrine and theology. And then I'm listening to, you know, like Satan is real and that word broad minded and these Ira Lupin gospel tunes. And I'm just like, whoa, like, (laughs) whoo, it's some, uh, some wild stuff. That's really like, that's re- that was... really interesting uh, that you, yeah that that your posture is one of of leaning in, and that seems to be what makes you feel good is to lean into the like the cognitive dissonance, lean into the discomfort, and uh, yeah, that's really interesting that that's how it played <laughs> out with in your story. Yeah, it keeps happening too. It keeps yeah. uh, it keep uh, the cognitive dissonance just keeps rearing its head. Mm. Um, well, do you have any uh, religious music then that you can play for us? Any, you anything? know, it's okay, so funny. We talked so much about it. I uh, I don't. I can do a Jimmy Rogers song for you though that okay, I was great. playing the other day, and I think it's actually. Um, this is a Jimmy Rogers song, and a lot of people know it as a Johnny Cash song because it wasn't a super well-known Jimmy Rogers song. It's based on a lot of old blues songs. It has some similar lines, but uh, it's so appropriate now. It's called I'm Free from the Chain Gang Now, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I think it's really beautiful. It's about being wrongfully imprisoned. So mm. um, when I listen to the lyrics, it, it brings a lot to mind, especially in the climate we're in in the u.s now where you know prison reform is needed so free from the chain gang now i'm gonna tune up real quick sorry
That's such a lovely and yeah. really sad okay. song. <laughs> it's like obviously he's obviously happy that he's like gets to go home, but it's also just like, well, that was like mm-hmm. a huge waste, and <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, just years lost. And there's like one of the best lines, which is alternatively so funny to me, but also so heartbreaking. Uh is there were tears on the mail that she sent me in jail. Just, uh, it's just, um, like, to think about, like, all these people in prison and people who've been wrongfully imprisoned yep. or on these, like, jacked up, like, drug charges or something that they don't they don't need to be there as long as they're there. And just thinking about the families they left behind. It's just, yeah, this song's heartbreaking. And it's kind yeah. it's so timeless. Mm. Um yeah, it gets me. Well, I need to, I need to collect myself after that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you got into yeah. the what's the actual name of the university? The East Tennessee East Tennessee State right? University. Yeah, I got in on a public performance scholarship. Whether that was deserved or not is hmm. to, is up for debate. But <laughs> yeah, I got in uh, for bluegrass banjo and dobro which was something I used to dabble in. It was cool. Um, It was a lot smaller of a program then. They have a much bigger old time program now, much bigger bluegrass program now, and they have more country bands. They also have a Celtic program, um, which is, yeah, it's great. They've got good faculty and stuff. And and so was that... I don't understand the timeline quite. You were studying classical music, and then you did, what was it, like a semester or a year there? And did you just completely switch gears, or did you go back to the classical music program, or what was the... How did that work? Well, Cameron, that's crazy. No, I um, I went to this college in Michigan, and I pretty much had to go. I didn't even apply anywhere else because my mom was a professor at the college. Oh, there you go. So I got an 80% tuition break, which, you know, rules. Um, And while I was there, I was both getting a major in biology because I was pre-med and I was also uh, trying to get uh, enough credits for a BFA in studio art. And on top of that, I was studying um, classical voice with with a teacher so it was trying to do like a double that's too much a double major and a minor and there was like no overlap um it was no (laughs) it was it was bananas uh and of course i was like totally burning out and i all i wanted to do is play bluegrass i didn't i was like singing in italian and um all of this stuff and, and they wouldn't even uh because I wasn't studying banjo through the program, they wouldn't let me use the pl- practice rooms to play banjo, and I had to do it in my dorm oh, rooms. No. It was it was real bad. I mean, you're a banjo player, you know it's a pretty polarizing yeah. instrument. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, I was there, and I really wanted to play bluegrass. And I heard about this program. I got the scholarship, and I somehow convinced with the help of of uh, Jimmy Kirkendall. Um, convinced the school to let most of the credits transfer, thinking that I would go back. And I yeah. did go back for one semester, and then I liked being in the South so much that I moved to North Carolina after that and finished mm-hmm. up college, my college career in the Asheville area. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was a, it's a weird um, meandering timeline. It's not a straight path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you still ever play classical music, or do you did you just completely uh, heel turn, as it were, probably by in, in their um, eyes? So I mean, sometimes I don't really play. Uh, every once in a while, I'll play some like I've got some Bach books for violin, and I'll do that sometimes. Every once in a while, but I was yeah. never a very I was never a very good violinist, and I would. Same with piano. I was probably a little better pianist, but I just, I didn't really like it. I didn't like playing music until I started playing banjo. So um, Mm. I'll I'll pull it out. And Mm. I'm really glad for all of that training, even though I hated it at the time, because now I can, you know, read sheets and stuff. And that's cool. But yes, 
not really. And the voice stuff is not, uh, like I know how to not destroy my voice now, but I, I don't really use any mm-hmm. of that stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't necessarily detect a uh, like an aria kind of voice in these last couple ones that you've been doing. No, I've yeah scraped it off and get it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want to play next? Um, why don't we do some more nineteen twenty stuff? We can do some early country. Great, lovely. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to get this out. Um, actually, I want to play this one on banjo. This is one that was, I don't think, I don't think he wrote it, but it was recorded by Charlie Poole. I looked this up on July 23rd in 1928. And, um, this is, this is a really funny one. Now, I think it might be a little bit problematic. It's definitely of the time. Uh, okay. But the context for this is I learned a bunch of these sort of borderline misogynistic songs and then for a brief time did, did a drag act where I would dress oh, up wow. as a man and perform these these songs and it would just be so ridiculous because the songs are ridiculous anyway. And, yes. uh, and this, is, this is one of those. So... Um, yeah, this one was recorded by Charlie Poole in 1928, and it's called My Wife Went Away and She Left Me. Just so we can all imagine while uh, while you're performing this, what like what was your drag outfit like? How were you made up? Mm. Like it depended or... on the sh- it depended on the show. Sometimes I would do uh, uh, sometimes I would just wear pants and suspenders because there was a tape mm-hmm. situation and stuff. And that was like part of the look, it was always very country. So sometimes it was like, you know, um, Fisher stripe overalls, or it was basically just Jimmy Rogers cosplay. I just want to be Charlie Poole and Jimmy Rogers. Cause they're both. <laughs> Cause I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm on the non-binary spectrum anyway. And it, they're yes. just so handsome and they, they got to do all the stuff that, a woman didn't get to do. And so yes. it's just, it would just be, it's just cool to be them. If you can be them, I just wanted to do that. So I would dress sometimes in three piece suits, sometimes in um, a shirts and overalls, sometimes in suspenders and dirty old uh, trousers. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thanks for uh, explaining. <laughs> no, it's no problem. Actually, Sinner Friends started as a drag act. It was a, brother harmony thing with with two dudes except one of the dudes was me and the other dude was connor it's pretty that's great (laughs) yeah i love it all right this one is called my wife went away and she left me Baby. 
hypotheticals of you know that she lists are there there's just sort of spouted off as if they're already aphorisms but i've like never heard them before like, <laughs> yeah when the moon turns into an apple and the rainbow turns into a vine that's so cool yeah it's pretty precious i think a lot of that really those really flowery um yeah. metaphors were super common in like 20s pop music which was piggybacking on this wave of sentimental song, uh, which is kind of like yes. pre-recorded music. There would be sheets and sheets and sheets of these, like pretty easy to play on the piano, um, like wiltingly sentimental, just like, oh, my heart <laughs> is pining for you. It's like, oh, it's got a weight yeah. tied around me. I don't know. Um, so it's, I think that one's pretty precious. And the fact that um, Charlie Poole singing it is really funny to me because uh, Charlie Poole probably literally wishes the sea would turn to whiskey. Um, in fact, he was quite a drinker and there's stories about how he went to the doctor because he drank himself. He drank himself unconscious. Basically his wife took him to the doctor and the doctor injected him with something at her behest and he died. So it, oh I mean, God. no one knows what really happened. But I'm sure she was having wow. a really hard time being married to him. And it's just it's just an interesting if you know that backstory, the song's really really goofy. Dear Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Men could get away with so much back then. You know. Just yeah, I <laughs> I've only heard a few of his songs, but like yeah, it's not that long of a walk to like listen to him. And just sort of imagine that he was a real bastard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny, too, because he's just like, he's like gorgeous to look at. He Like in this way, that's a little bit scary. Like he's kind of scary and really handsome. Um, yeah. Which I should probably examine why I think that is so attractive. But, uh, <laughs> but, and then his voice is so goofy. Like it doesn't, to me, it doesn't match the, it's like when you look up, um, a radio person on NPR and their pictures like that's not them <laughs> you know yeah it's like, it's like what? Charlie Poole's like that's, that's, not, that's not him that's not his voice Face. yeah <laughs> so funny the really funny thing yeah. is um he was a banjo player and a lot of what he did I think fed into what would later become bluegrass and some mm. and some two finger style stuff but he was actually a classic banjo player which was at the time that he was recording these country tunes like on its way quickly, you know, down the tubes and out of vogue. Uh, but there's a recording of him playing a classic banjo tune called the Infanta March that he recorded it, mm. I think as the Sunset March. And um, it's just, it's not as, it's not very good. I think he'd had a bit to drink when he recorded it. It's It's great. I mean, it's a hard, it's hard to play. It's hard to play in that style, but it was, pretty funny to yeah to find that um him and and uh uncle dave macon too was a classic banjo player there are pictures of him mm -hmm. all decked out in fancy duds with a trumpet player and stuff and i think it they just sort of erased that part of their history when it became not cool and then they right they're country guys yeah so goofy. interesting yeah that's a <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, what you're talking, I mean, I don't know their actual histories, but, um, I mean, weren't they both sort of country guys, like, in their origins? Like, is it, were they doing, like, sort of, like, hillbilly drag on top of them actually, like, already having that sort of heritage? 
You know what I mean? Like, what's going on there? I totally know what you mean. And that's what's so interesting to me about this, this part of American history is because there were people of people were coming from the country everywhere and moving to the city. So Uncle Dave Macon really puts on country drag, but there's like records of him working in a mill in a city. So he at some time was like a metropolitan dude. Um, That being said though, even country people were playing, playing banjo, classic banjo, because it was just, I'm, you've already interviewed Aaron Jonah Lewis, so you've heard the whole spiel. But it was the, it was the most popular yes. music in the United States and in England, and it was you know it was just huge. So that's why I think that's why banjo has such a big thing, big presence in country music. Um, hmm. Apart from apart from the obvious influence of 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 black banjo players, there's also the fact that just about every house had one or two of them lying around. So it was, you know, it would be like a, like a guitar or an electric guitar now. I think they were doing some country drag and they did have country heritage, but so did a lot of people. And it was, um, I think it was a mishmash. It's that whole like mishmash baby, baby monster culture. Everyone's, mm. everyone's getting sent to the city and they're all trying to, they're all trying to make it in the big city, you know, like, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, and then that, and then right. hillbilly music, hillbilly records became so popular. Everyone's like, "Oh, well, I can do a little bit of that," and jumped on the train. Some of them were more successful than others. I, I really appreciate that being talked about, frankly, because um, I feel like something. <laughs> there's there's a lot of conversations right now about who has ownership to what kind of music, and yeah. um, who you know whose music is sort of the most pure. And I think there is some really good and important stuff to be talked about there um, in like American music, but people often, sometimes the conversation I found in the old time community, it gets, it gets really toxic. (laughs) Like when, uh, when people are talking about sort of purity of influences and when we start getting into um, urban rural dichotomies. Well, okay. So yeah, if we're talking about um, uncle Dave Macon and Charlie Poole, and and their country drag, I think it's really interesting to start talking about genres that stemmed from that. I think old time in some ways, it, as it is now, is fallout sure. from from that movement. Um, bluegrass certainly is, uh, mm. and bluegrass is kind of an interesting case of country drag. Now I need to full disclosure, like my main job is I'm a side guy in a bluegrass band. I love bluegrass. It's how I got into liking music. Um, that being said, a lot of the founders of the genre, most notably like the founder of the genre were people, uh, with very complicated, and problematic attitudes. Um, Bill Monroe, mm. you know, his his attitude and treatment of women is something that we could spend a whole other hour talking about. Um, mm. And it's and that still pops up in the genre. But there's also this idea that bluegrass is a southern music genre, which is I I would argue is not necessarily true. Um, it's and I have I have an interesting example. This is a theory of mine. I have no way of proving this, but I'd like to do a song called Mr. Mary Blues by an artist named Al Miller. Al Miller was a black man from, I believe, New Orleans. Uh, he played jazz and blues um, and country mashup on the mandolin, although uh, if you had if you could hop in a time machine and go talk to Al, he wouldn't say like this part's country, this part's jazz, this part's blues, because everyone was doing that. Um, The really interesting thing about him, well, one of the very interesting things about him is he was this incredible blues mandolin player, and uh, he's got these cool mandolin licks that the first time I heard them, I was like, wow, that sounds like Bill Monroe, but he predates Bill Monroe. In fact, he was for a short time living and recording in Chicago at the same time that Bill 
and several of his siblings were living in Chicago. It's on record that Bill listened to race records. Um, it's possible, I think, that maybe he caught a live show and listened to Al Miller. Uh, yeah, if any Get Up in the Cool listeners are interested in some homework, they should go listen to Al Miller's mandolin playing. That's one interesting right thing on. about him. The other yeah. interesting thing about Al Miller is uh, he recorded some kind of raunchy songs, and he recorded this one song that has like that's super queer. Not that he's queer; he's singing from the narrator's perspective. The narrator is a straight cishet man who has lost yeah. his girlfriend to another woman, and so oh, interesting. This is, yeah, and the other interesting thing is. I don't see a lot of examples of white artists in the 20s uh, singing songs about queer subjects. And I mm. wonder, I, it's just a theory, but I wonder if there's more more black artists singing about that because they were already othered in that way and it wasn't really a threat to their yeah. status socially. Not as long of to a To sing about those topics because there's no way there weren't white artists, you know, Queering it up, yep. they just yep. weren't singing about it. Yeah. Anyway. Wow, what an interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear this. Yeah. Uh, so this one is called "The Mister Mary Blues" by Al Miller. Uh, it was recorded in 1927, I think, in Chicago. what's happening like well this is like oh yeah mr Marriott, you know like the before it's like a different vocabulary to talk about this thing you know and obviously it's like sort of being erased from the like open conversation so it's like well this is the best way i can think to talk about it and i also yeah. love the inevitability like he's just sort of saying this sort of like cosmic truth of like <laughs> you can't keep birds out of the air fish out of the sea miss mary is like will steal your woman force <laughs> like, of nature yeah if you don't want incredible. her to steal your woman you cannot let your woman have any interaction with her because yeah mr mary and then of his version does not have the blue yodel in it um we recorded that one on our latest record with sinner friends 
And we talked about it a lot because it's a it's a song, you know, written and performed by a black artist. And so yeah. Um, again, we wanted to be appreciative, not appropriative. So we did what Jimmy Rogers did with so much black material and just added a yodel. So we like yeah. We feel like that's the sort of I don't know. That's the stamp of I'm a white person who wishes I came up with this, but I didn't. So here's a here's a yodel. Here's on a it. yodel. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting um, uh, tactic. Um, but it's yeah. so funny. You you better watch these women what act so much like a man. And I guess yeah, yeah. Mr. Mary must have been like a really butch woman. I, the language of like bull dyke and stuff were was used in the twenties. There are blues songs. Um, there's a blues song. Oh, I can't I can't tell you exactly who who performed it, but it's called it's called BD Woman, which stands for um, Bull Dyke Woman. And I'm not I'm not saying this mm. out of disrespect. This is just this is terminology. Um, sure. And it, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And uh, I I'm stoked to have found that song because it's uh, it's just a funny. It's a really funny photograph of something that happened to somebody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I I often wish that uh, anytime I get to talk about. Qu- what queerness looked like before now. Um, I'm just like, I feel like I'm really eager for that information. Um, and for <laughs> just like either mentors living or dead, you know, just like, tell me, just give me some sort of insight because uh, I, I want to understand what it means in a larger narrative. So desperately. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, thank you for that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, thank Al Miller. He's the one who had the had the gall to cut it. <laughs> it's it's so good. Yeah, and and it's interesting because you could read it as being obviously as being it's very literally homophobic. He's like intimidated by this this woman who is acting who he would describe as acting like a man Mm -hmm. and would steal his woman it's like he's afraid of it but there's also something kind of vulnerable about a man being willing to admit that this this woman was um more i guess like more effectively masculine or more interesting to uh, the woman that he thought he had like uh, in the palm of his hand and then he didn't, you know, like there's something vulnerable there that is really interesting and attractive. To Absolutely. Me. And not, not only does, I mean, there's a lot of songs where men refer to themselves crying. Right. But there are not a lot of songs right. I've heard where they wake up in the morning and their eyes are swollen shut because they were crying so hard. And then the next yeah. verse, he says, man, oh man, you better step up and do the very best you can. He's yeah. basically saying like, she left me for Mr. Mary and uh I mean I'm not happy about it but fair enough like I get it. <laughs> he's not he's not doing like you know what some of those old songs would be like he's not going to go out and try to shoot Mr. Mary with a 44. He's just like oh let me you tell you so you don't so you don't suffer the same fate guys. You got to wa- you got to step up and do the very best you can because because this is a this is a problem, and it's going to get you too. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah, funny. You're getting like a real insight into someone's paradigm being destroyed, and yeah. it's kind of it's kind of delicious. <laughs> like it's 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 amazing. So delicious cool. is the word. I think when I find songs yeah. like this, it's almost like num 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 num. Like oh no, no, yay no, no, no. ah like oh this is like. Like a tasty morsel. It's a, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, I should get, I'm just saying I should give Hubby Jenkins a shout out because he's the one that turned me on to this tune. I would never have found it without him. And we randomly ran into each other in Charlottesville one time and we were talking about the music we were working on and he's been really interested in sacred music. And I was at the time, perfecting my drag show so i was really interested in early country music with a queer slant and so we we traded songs and this is one of the ones that he gave me in exchange for some really weird weird gospel songs i pointed him towards but yeah 
Thanks to him. <laughs> so we, we have one song left. And before we do that, where should people go to keep up with all the different things that you're doing uh, musically and otherwise, if you have anything else that you want to promote? Yeah. Um, well, musically, I'm not doing any really any public facing stuff or much of any public facing stuff now. Uh, right. Um, quarantine's been a really, really great opportunity for me to sit and learn new songs and uh, mm. do do um, do that sort of thing. But uh, in the future, when we're back on the road or, or doing what it is we'll end up doing, um, you can find dates that I'll be playing on my website. That's gracevanthoff.com, G-R-A-C-E-V-A-N-T-H-O-F.com. Um, I've got dates on there with my duo project, Sinner Friends, and also Chris Jones and the Night Drivers, which is the bluegrass band I'm honored to be a side guy in. Uh, you can also see what Sinner Friends is up to on sinnerfriends.com. And we had, uh, in an either brilliant or terrible stroke of timing, we put out a new record in April. Um, and uh, it's been it's been tricky because you know it, we haven't been able we had a whole couple of tours uh, to support it and we weren't able to play those obviously, um, and we're really proud of it. It's a great record. Um, we'd love for folks to have a listen, uh, but I do want to say this: uh, we're two we're two white people, and. Mm -hmm. Our voices are not the first voice you should seek out. So if you've mm. done your due diligence, read some music history, supported artists of color first, then I invite you to go on over to the Sinner Friends website and order your hard copy of our new record, Bad News Gospel, um, only then. Or you can listen to it on Spotify, of course. Ideally, please just or please just buy a CD. Just buy a CD and then listen to it on Spotify. That's what I do. That's what we all do now. Yes. Yeah. And that's what you should do. Mm. Um, it's it's such a lovely album. You, it's, it's pretty good. We're proud of it. It's really... Uh, <laughs> uh, some of the numbers that I, I sang today are on it. And um, yeah. And my duet partner is just such a talented artist in his own right. And... Um, we're really, really proud of it. I don't know how to say this, Cameron. It feels really, really weird to try to promote my record right now. I understand what you, you know mean. What I mean? Um, do you want to give? I mean, you've already <laughs> get, you've already given like some homework. Al Miller. People should check out Al Miller. Is there anyone else yeah. that like specifically people should check out um, on their way to checking out Center Friends? You said Hubby Jenkins. Also great, a current hubby, person. Hubby Jenkins, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I know he's doing live shows now where he reads a Choose Your Own Adventure book and then plays music after. So look him up oh on my Facebook. God. <laughs> that if great. for no other reason than that. But he's just such a talented musician. Like, hubby rules. Um, another musician that's been a really big inspiration to me, especially around banjo, is Jerron Paxton, blind boy Jerron Paxton. Um, check him out too he's just the man can play everything he's a he's just a catalog of songs um he plays classic banjo he plays old-time banjo he plays fiddle mm. he plays guitar and he plays a mean stride piano and he's just he's just so good he's incredible uh, those are it would be a, it's a dream of mine to have him on the show he has an open invitation oh <laughs> yeah um I hope I hope for you that that happens because oh, me he too. <laughs> rules. He just rules uh, as a person and as a musician. Mm -hmm. um, those are two living people, and then I would I would encourage people to read books on the history of country music. And anytime a person of color is mentioned, don't just go over the name and make note that that person is there. Like, do your research. We've got time. Yeah. We're sitting at home staring at screens anyway. Maybe you're on a Zoom call for your work. You can click over to another tab and like <laughs> Google Al Miller. You, easy. Yeah. 
easy. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, you know, say what you will about streaming services. They're not kind to musicians, um, which is why you should go buy people's records in addition to streaming them online. But sometimes you can click over to an artist like Al Miller's YouTube videos or tracks on Spotify, and it will show you more uh, more of his, his peers. Um, yeah. There's just a wealth of incredible blues material from the 20s and 30s from people like Ma Rainey. Uh, yeah, there's really no there's really no reason why. Like, why wouldn't why wouldn't you make your life better by listening to this great music? You should you just should. That's a great that's the one, of the, made I the think music, one of the ultimate appeals for any for yeah. any kind of diversity is because you'll get to like have cooler friends um, mm-hmm. and eat better food and listen to like better music. Not, not in a mm-hmm. supremacist kind of way, but like, because it'll be different and then you'll get to experience new kinds of joy, you know? Don't appropriate that food, appreciate that food. Don't you yes. like the music? Don't you like the music that those old white guys made? Well, go listen to the music that they liked, but didn't tell you that they liked. Yeah. <laughs> well said go back <laughs> go back in time get on your magic mm. school bus and go um well uh grace mm. we've talked about all of my favorite topics uh religion <laughs> queerness coding and like cultural ownership and nuance and this has been such a lovely hang thank you so much thank you i had a great time it's this is cool and i hope we get to have many more conversations it's kind of baffling to <sighs> me, me that we haven't um, I haven't met before and gotten to gotten to geek out because uh, hmm. seems like we might be the same species of geek a little bit. It really does. Twenty twenty one. Let's make it ha- when, hey. when we're all vaccinated. Hey. Let's hang out. <laughs> See you next year. Yeah. yeah. Well, what do you want to do for our final um, song? Well. Um, you mentioned, you pointed out, and this isn't a way I thought about it before, that I like to lean into the uncomfortable spaces. And this yeah. song for me is a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but it's also really cute. And I like the chord progression. It's a song called Big Bad Bill is Sweet William Now. And it's about a man who gets married and turns from a big, scary, bad man into <laughs> a nice man who does the dishes. Be- all because of the love of a good woman. She oh, just wow. she saves him. She saves him. Uh-huh. And, uh, and and as we kn- as we know, as <laughs> a man wrote this song, could you believe it? Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> as as we all know, that is a that's a woman's job to save a man uh, from yeah. themselves. That was sarcasm. But I'm very fond of the very long song titles. This one, Big Bad Bill, is Sweet William Now. And although Van Halen covered it, I've never heard that cover. And I got this from Billy Murray. Right. Thanks, Grace. (laughs) Thanks, Cameron. In the town of Louisville Lived a man they called Big Bad Bill I want to tell you He sure was tough He certainly could strut his stuff He had folks all scared to death When he walked by they'd all hold their breath He was a fighting man Sure enough But then Bill took himself a wife And now he leads a different life Big Bad Bill is sweet William now Married life has changed him somehow He was a man that we all used to fear But now the people call him Sweet Papa Willie Dear Stronger than Samson, I declare Till a bob hat mama bobbed his hair Oh, Big Bad Bill don't fight anymore He 
washes dishes and he mops up the floor well he used to spend his evenings looking for a fight but now he's got to see his mama every night big bad bill is sweet william now done your homework, head on over to Grace's website, gracefanthoff.com, and Sinner Friends' website at sinnerfriends.com to buy their albums and eventually check their performance dates. And if you follow Sinner Friends wherever you stream your music, they're releasing a digital 78 on September 18th with what Grace describes as a bomb A-side and a fun surprise B-side. I can't wait to find out what those songs are. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with everyone you know. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside The Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. <laughs>